Welcome to Human Stories with Jill Hazard Rowe, where we explore humanity in all of its realms. Today we have the mayor of Heber in the studio, and Colleen Potter, we'd like to welcome you. Thank you, Jill. It's so nice to be here with you. Oh, it's such an honor. We've been trying to coordinate this this for about a year. Yeah. And I'll just be up front. Um, Colleen will, will share with us about her her children, but we're trying to get Colleen and her children in the studio. They're not quite ready to tell their stories, and so we thought this would be a lovely podcast for a mom of, you know, a couple of LGBTQ children and her own journey, and then also we'll talk about some of the things, events that are happening in her city as the, the mayor of Heber. Yep. That's so cool. It is fun. So do you want to do you want to tell our audience a little bit more about yourself? Sure. So I have five kids and two of them identify as um, LGBT. We have uh, my oldest son is gay. Then I have a son who um, is in college. He just got back from an LDS mission in Ukraine. Then my next child is my transgender daughter, Faye. Then I have Hannah, and then I have a daughter we adopted from China. She was in an orphanage, and her name is Abby. Abby. Yeah. Yeah. Little Abby. So we live in Heber. We've been there, gosh, 13, 14 years. Um, I ran for city council about seven years ago. Then after I was doing that for a while, I decided to run for mayor, and I've been the mayor. This is my third year as mayor. Yeah. I remember when I first met you, I just started calling you mayor. You did, and that's why I am now. I it know. I would, like I would like to prophecy. take credit for that. You're like a prophet. You knew. Prophetess, please. Prophetess. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, prophetess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so, um, Colleen and I met in another life. <laughs> I was Feels like it. Think. Yeah. In another life at a at a woman's retreat where all of us had LGBTQ children, and we would escape for a week and try to nurture ourselves and try to get mm-hmm. clarity on our journeys. Do you remember that treat, a retreat, Colleen? It was five years ago in June. Oh, you do remember. Oh, it was such a pivotal thing for my life. Like, that is where my whole life changed is after that retreat. Like, it's it's where I mark, like, before retreat, after retreat, and my whole worldview changed after that. Wow. So, yeah, that's part of, a big part of my story. Well, um, can we get into that? Yeah, Just, I mean, so yeah. you, you went to the retreat. You left as a different person. I did. So my son, Daniel, came out at about 14. He started struggling a lot when he was 12. He'd been like the model citizen. And, and all of a sudden, when he's, you know, he just started really struggling and we couldn't, had no idea what was wrong. I should have known. Like looking at pictures now, I'm, I was clueless and in denial. But anyway, he came out. Um, he actually first came out to the bishop. And the bishop said, you're not gay. The world would tell you you're gay. You just have these talents, like fashion and photography. Mm. And if you don't listen to the world, then you stay faithful. And I don't, I mean, the bishop didn't know. But he, <laughs> he named this guy who is so lovely. You should have him on here, Josh Knight from Heber. And he is a florist. And he said, look at Josh. He's not gay. He likes flowers, and he's not gay. And Josh came out about a year after that, but, you know, he's obviously gay and as adorable and fabulous as possible anyway so Daniel was about 14 at the time and really struggling and so that didn't help and then he you know went and got his patriarchal blessing and he tried so hard and ended up um you know talked about the woman that was being prepared for him and Mm -hmm. that was kind of that was really the end for him of 
I think, faith and belief. I mean, I, I love it. I hope someday he'll tell his story, but I share things that he's um, told me and given me permission. But anyway, from my observation, that was really devastating to him because right. it appeared that he was trying to connect with God and find out where do I fit in this thing. And that just was like one more thing that just was too much for him. So anyway, he ended up, and he tells me to say these words, he tried to kill himself. Um, he told me to say it that way because he doesn't want me to soften it because he said, people need to understand how huge this is to like because of what he was taught in church and what people believed around him that he felt like there was no place for him to live anymore. Anyway, he went through a few years of high school where he ended up leaving the high school. He'd, he'd, he'd gone to one year and it was good and not really good, but he could get texts, watch out homo and some, some mean stuff. But then there were some kind people, but he ended up leaving after that. And he just kept struggling, and I was just watching him spiral. And he, you know, he wasn't doing well in school, and he was just had some crazy things. And I just was so worried about him. And when he was a senior, I, I saw on Facebook a guy named Todd Jones. You probably know. I do know. So I we think were you guys EFY are friends. Yes. together. We were EFY speakers and counselors, and mm-hmm. so we'd been friends. And he came out on Facebook. And I called him and I said, what would you want your mom to know? I feel like my son is so distant and I don't know how to help him. And he said, you need to call my friend Wendy. She's got this group called Mama Dragons and her son's gay and she's been through all this stuff. So I called Wendy Montgomery and we talked for a few hours. And she said, we're having this retreat in St. George. You should come and meet a bunch of other moms. And literally, I knew no one. I didn't have a friend to talk to. I didn't know a gay person to talk to. Um, I hadn't talked to anybody. And it was about he was 14 and this is when he was a senior so it's three or four years of me just praying and wondering what to do and thinking there must be answers and so anyway I thought I'm going to do that I'll go down there and I'll talk to all the moms who are active in the church and have gay kids and I didn't know a soul there were about 50 women I think at the retreat in St. George and um, I full on you know Oprah Winfrey to everybody and I would go around and talk to them mm-hmm. <laughs> like I did with Jill you were very thorough it's very thorough. I, I don't think there was 50. Later. There probably seemed like there was 50. Really? Yeah. Maybe not that many. <clears throat> or maybe I, some people would come and go. So it yeah, felt yeah, like yeah. More it was in St. George. So people that lived there or oh, could just, okay. I think Wendy just stopped in for a day yeah, or a that's minute. Right. Yeah. But people that were actually in the house, I think there was probably 30 of us. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, I was, I didn't really care what those people who left the church because you know they don't know anything right so I was going to just talk to the people that said they were active and so I would go around and you know whatever Oprah and how did you figure that out did we have buttons on or yeah like I could tell by your radiating oh did I radiate you radiated oh joyous wow no I think in the conversations and I would ask do you still go to church and Mm -hmm. and so then I would really dig in if I knew they went to church because I thought there's got to be answers for this I mean it's all here like I just have to find it because surely there will be answers in the church now I knew he didn't choose it and I knew he wasn't going to change. Those were the things I knew because I had a friend who'd married a guy from BYU who's stake president and bishop told him, just get married and it'll go away. So I knew that that was, you know, not going to change. But I just thought there must be some answers. I mean, surely if we, if we dig in hard enough, there will be some relief. Anyway, when I left that retreat, what I did is I would talk to everyone. And by the time I left there, I thought, oh, my gosh. like, Because I would say, you know, you can be gay, but you don't have to be a jerk. And then mm-hmm. I thought, it's not, it's not my son. It's shame. And then I started realizing that everyone had the same story. Like all these kids were struggling. All these kids were acting out and not making the best choices, you know, at different levels. But I just it just finally occurred to me that 
my son was experiencing shame and I did not have the compassion that I needed because I didn't understand mm-hmm. back then um, before this retreat. And at that point, my whole worldview changed because I, I left there going, oh my gosh, the church is wrong about this. And that was the first time it occurred to me. Before that, when my sister-in-law had said to me, I don't see how gay marriage has hurt our marriage. And I said, I don't know, but the prophet said, and I was just, you know, I'll be faithful, whatever the prophet said. And that was before my son came out. But after I left that retreat, um, I was open to hearing different things. I was listening to people's stories. I just had a whole shift in my worldview. And it was all because of meeting all these women and having that kind of support. And I remember feeling like, I have never been in a situation where I just felt complete love and acceptance among people who were diverse and didn't really know each other and some were in the church and out of the church and you know all different places and it just felt like complete acceptance and I felt like I could talk I mean it was the first time I could talk about my kid and his struggles yeah because you know it was kind of like at church I didn't have him anymore you know we just don't talk about that and so well yeah or if you do it's um in a very humbling like I'm praying and I'm going to the temple yeah yeah he's gonna come around yeah Yeah. Yeah. and he's not acting on it or you know whatever yeah we feel like we have to clarify yeah the very first people I went and talked to before that retreat were um Fred and Marilyn Mattis who wrote the book Mm -hmm. um what's that book called in quiet desperation about their son Stuart and you know many listeners probably know that story but I remember I went and talked to them and I sat in their living room and that was, you know, besides therapists, it's the first people I talked to. And I left there and I went back to with my sister-in-laws and I just was sobbing because I thought, Daniel's not going to stay. Like, he's not going to do that. Do you, Can you just recap that story? Because we assume that this podcast right. is going outside yeah. of Utah. And it's been a while. The blessing yeah. that, that yeah. Kelly is talking about is a lot of LDS kids get a blessing in their teenage years that's oh, yes. supposed to be um, inspired and give them direction for the rest of their life. Yeah. So for Daniel, hearing that his wife was preparing for him was yeah. a deal breaker. Um, yeah. And so now... You know, a lot of people don't know about Stuart. Yeah, so I had served a mission in their ward in California. And these people had a gay son who, um, back, I'm trying to think of what that would have been. Like, I was in my mission there. Wasn't it the 80s? Yeah, the 80s. But I don't think his story really, I don't think he came out till the 90s. Mm. Anyway, anyway, they wrote this book because he had stayed faithful. Like he would tell how he prayed, you know, he was on his knees for hours and wouldn't sleep. And he tried so, so hard to overcome this being gay. And when he was about 30, I believe, he went to the stake center where one of the um, top church leaders was coming, Elder Holland, and he took his life on the steps of that um, church building as they were all coming. And the couple, the parents, are lovely and beautiful, and they became, you know, they had some comfort from this church leader and talked about it. But although it was peaceful to be with them, I thought, this isn't going to be my story, and I don't want it to be my story. I don't want him to struggle and pray and have no hope for fitting, you know, having a happy life. So that was really hard for me to hear because that seemed like the right answer because these are good people and they had some spiritual experiences. And I was just thinking, I don't know how ours is going to go down because it's not going to be like that. Yeah. I remember my husband saying um, after our son came out, I'd rather have the gayest, 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 gayest kid than have a dead kid. Yeah. Whatever that means. But I think what it meant 
Um, To me, is that my husband and I were going to make sure our kid lived. He found purpose and that he So many of our kids. Lose their worth because they've been taught their whole life. That they're an abomination and a sin. And I was part of that, you know, Colleen, before we moved to Utah, it was Prop 22 and I was the society president. That's, you know, the you're in charge of a group of women and I fought for traditional marriage and you know I think that we're probably before that retreat like we were the same women woman right like we believed that we had all the answers and to know that one of our children in your case two of your children are raised in this community that makes them even have the idea that they don't want to live. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's devastating. He told he's told me since he's been an adult. He remembers really young. He said that I said Ellen degenerate at one time, which I have no recollection and I'm horrified that I would have said that. <laughs> he said that he remembered my his dad has a cousin who's gay who's as Wonderful. He's a wonderful human. He's been with his partner for 30 years or more. And did we call him and ask him? No, we didn't. But but Daniel remembers there's, he didn't know what it was, but he knew there was something wrong with him. And he knew that there was something wrong with himself. And I thought, what does that do to a person when from a young age, I mean, we know what it does. We know what that shame does. But to feel like there's something so wrong with you that even God doesn't love you or doesn't have a place for you in his only church. It, it's so hard for me to, and I've apologized a million times, but I, I went on a mission, you know, back then, and recently, within this last year, my sister-in-law was at my mom's house where all my mission letters are, and she took a picture of a paragraph that I wrote where I said something like, oh, we saw these two girls holding hands today, ew, yuck, and I thought, I'm horrified that because of what I was taught, and I knew nothing. I mean, I didn't know people. I just, that was, I was so programmed that that was so bad and awful that, and I, I would have bet you a million dollars I would have never said that at the time. And she sent me that picture and I, I've been sick about it for weeks that think, I mean, I'm so grateful now that I know differently, but who knows what I might've said or what I might've done that might've made my children feel less than if they didn't fit that little proclamation that we'd sit there and have those lessons and family home evening and, you know, what does that do when they know what they've heard from their parents? They know what they've heard at church. They know what the family believes. There was no place for him to be able to be honest and come out because he knew that we wouldn't get it and support him. And it wasn't until that retreat that I started listening and understanding and trying to find resources. Actually, the first re- one of the first resources I found, a friend of mine was in a PhD program at BYU, and she said, there's a woman in my class who is getting her PhD. She's in her 50s and she's just trying to help LGBT kids in the church. So maybe you could talk to her. And I thought, oh yeah, she's at BYU. It'll be safe. <laughs> anyway, it was Lisa Hansen who's been in ther- ther- a therapist at Encircle and has, I think it's called Flourish Therapy. Anyway, I went to her and she'd say things to me like, you know, most of the gay people 
are happier out of the church. And I remember going, what? They're happier out of the church? Like he's going to have to leave the church. And, you know, and she told me, you need to do something to show him you really support him. Something out of character. Like go to the pride parade. (gasps) What? Go to the pride parade? Like, Mm. you know, and I, it was after the retreat that I went to that first, my first pride parade. But it was all just so foreign to me. And I, and I just feel so sad that I was so orthodox and so believing in that church and what I was taught there that I was I would I couldn't even listen to what my heart was telling me I mean I I knew I was not comfortable and I knew that it wasn't right and I needed to help him but I just thought there would be answers in the church and until that retreat and I left there and I thought they're wrong Mm. they're flat out wrong about this and after that then I was able to see other things that bothered me that you know, so I was able to kind of reclaim my authority about what I was willing to believe and not believe. And there's on. something like uh, really sacred when a Mormon mom meets another Mormon mom that has an LGBTQ child, because mm-hmm. no words have to be exchanged. Like we get it, we get it, we get it. And I think it sounds like you know at that retreat, you actually gained um, permission to question. Yes. Not so much the church, but question um, the church's stance on your LGBTQ children yeah. and how, you know, I, I think as moms, like, we're put in, in this position, like, what are you going to choose? Mm-hmm. And I've told so many people, I, there that is like the deepest um, heart-wrenching thing because all of a sudden you look at this and you either have to say, well, the church said, and you, child... You know, you're making a bad choice, or maybe it's just a challenge, like a handicap, and in the next life it'll be better. Like, somehow you have to resolve this within yourself. And there's so much cognitive dissonance because you, if you're like me and you'd always believe that everything in the church was true, and the doctrine is everything, and this is the only way to be together, and it le- it's the only way to be happy, it causes such a deep, wrenching, heartbreaking feeling that. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, that, and that's that bond, I think, is that as other moms, you know, you've gone through that and you have to land somewhere and figure out how to deal with it. And mm-hmm. nothing's ever the same. Nothing's ever the same. I think the one thing that we, many of us moms have in common is that we've received the answers to love our kids. Yes. Unconditionally, like there's no buts. And mm-hmm. so when they're not accepted, not only in the church, but in other organizations or in society or I mean when our kids came out you know you could be fired in Utah or kicked out of your housing if you were if you were gay right mm-hmm. now before I had a gay child I never knew that and oh, even when I'd have that discussion with neighbors and stuff they're like what that can't be right yeah. and so when you are blessed to be in this new environment and new exposure of a marginalized group mm-hmm. and see how they're treated not only within a church organization but in society yeah and there was that law in the schools people call it the no promo homo law where and it just was changed a couple of years ago where teachers weren't able to talk about anything lgbtq they could lose their jobs and and that's how it was all through daniel's schooling like i look back and think you know, he was struggling so much. And there were probably teachers that maybe had some compassion and maybe would have talked to him, but they're putting their job on the line. And to not even be able to find somebody in Little Heber, Utah, where 
you know, later on, I realized there were about three or four other kids his age that came out after, like, in college. Mm-hmm. But at the time, you know, you're feeling so alone because it seems like no one's gay in this town, and who do I talk yeah. to, and how? And I'm sure he, I, I, years later, now that I see who some of his friends were, that some of them have come out. But um, and I'm sure they talked about it at the time, but he wasn't going to tell me because I wasn't safe at that time, which makes me sad. And I've apologized, but. You know, you can't get that back. But we do the best we can, I guess. And Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Our kids extend a lot of grace to us, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and it comes from a place of wanting the best for them. But when I, you know, we talk about just loving them, and I look back and I think, no one could have told me I didn't love him. Like, I adored that kid. I was 31 years old. You know, I wanted him forever, and I was, you know, I was doing all the stuff as a mom. And I loved him with my whole heart, but I didn't trust him. When he was 12 years old, he said, I want to go to this photo shoot. And they, they did these temporary tattoos, and they would do this thing, I am equal. And mm-hmm. I don't know who it was. I don't know if it was a quality Utah or what. Yeah. And he showed me this thing, and he's 12. And he said, I want to go to Salt Lake and go to this photo shoot. And I was, you know, fear. And, well, what is it? I am equal to what? What does that mean? <laughs> Which in my heart, I'm kind of thinking, this is gay people. And, mm. you know, of course I'm not going to take him down to Salt Lake and mm. be around Plus those a people. tattoo. Yeah. A temp- I mean, you know, temporary, but. Tattoo mm. still. It's the appearance of evil. Yeah. And so, <laughs> anyway, I just look back and go, that would have been a great thing to take him to that. Like, maybe we could have gone there and met some people and it would have been a positive thing. And I'm sure he was just struggling to reach out to people that he could feel he connected with. I was just, yeah. Anyway, it's sad. But here we are. Here we are. Here we are in a studio. In a studio years later and he's doing great. So Daniel um, is involved with Now Equality Utah? Yeah, so he's helping them with their efforts on the Wasatch Back, and so he gets to help with events and fundraising, and and it's 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 so healing. Um, I hope it is for him. I didn't. He didn't use those words. It is for me because I was always <laughs> trying to get him to go to stuff. Yeah. Like he was a little older before Encircle <clears throat> opened, and. Um, so I would go, you want to go to this thing in Encircle? And do you want to do this? And do you want to go to the Pride Parade? And yeah. Not with me, of course. I think yeah. he'd gone to the Pride Parade when he was younger. But he didn't ever really want to get involved in a lot of that stuff. And um, I'm just like, I just want you to be around these cool people, you know. And so mm-hmm. I'm thinking, oh, he's hanging out with Troy Williams. Like, you know, mm-hmm. that's awesome. So yeah. I'm sure he's finding support in that. But um, so, yeah, I'm happy for that. I think our, our sons are probably the same in that way. Yeah. Like, they could care less what we're doing, right? And we're all like, please. And we're like, please. I used to always, not used to, because it wasn't very many opportunities that Hunter was actually with me, but I would be, this is Hunter, he's my gay son. And he'd be like, really, Mom? Do you really have to see it? I know. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, I had to learn to respect those boundaries that, yeah. you know. But sometimes, um, you know, I don't know if our sons even know, like, what we've been involved in and how our hearts have changed exactly and, and how through them yeah they give us this gift and permission to change right mm-hmm. yeah it's such a gift I'm so grateful um sad for the pain he went through but glad that he got to come out at a young age um you know it would be hard if he was 60 or you know whatever I mean everyone has their journey but I'm grateful that he was in a world where he could come out and not have to struggle with that being in the closet for yeah decades that's yeah. hard so you left that retreat and you were changed i mean i don't think i'm the same person year to year 
I don't either. Yeah, five years. It's like I'm a whole different person. I went back, though, and I thought, oh, I can make a difference. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, you know, be more open about it. And I remember mm-hmm. feeling from the Mama Dragons when they'd say, well, I said this at church, or I did that, or I'd read the Facebook. And so I was teaching um, gospel doctrine, and it was probably about a year after that retreat. And I had a lesson, God is no respecter of persons. And I thought, oh, this is my chance. Mm. you know. And I'd never said anything in my ward. He'd been out for four years. And he would always want to go to young women's, and finally they wouldn't let him go, so he quit going to church, and then he moved away. So I, I'm sure people knew, but they didn't talk about it. So I was in this doing this lesson. I'd, I'd heard Lisa Hansen speak, and so I kind of put this thing together, and I said, you know, for the his- through the history of time, we've always had groups of people that we thought weren't as good as us, and it was the Gentiles, and, you know, and, and even in the temple, like, it used to be the handicapped people and women couldn't go in the temple and and over time God expands the circle so that more people are able to be long so you know it was the Gentiles it was blacks you know and now it's gay people and I said and I've learned and I just been actually side note so Stockton Powers is a young man who was um, friends with my third child Faye who we'll talk about in a second and then Stockton had just taken his life, and it was probably within a month or two after that, and I'd been to the funeral. And so I quote, in that lesson, I talked about this, how we sometimes misperceive groups of people because of things we've been taught, and you know, we, and Jesus taught us to love everyone, and it's, he's, God is no respecter of persons. We need to include everyone, and, and I talked about it, me personally. I said, you know, I've learned this because I have a gay son, and I, and I went to this funeral, and I, of course, quoted any general authority quote I could find, <laughs> and someone in the bishopric was in there, and afterwards, um, no one really said anything. A couple people kind of whispered, I have a gay nephew, like, mm-hmm. you know, they wouldn't say it out loud, but they could whisper it to me. Mm-hmm. And then that week they called and asked me to be asked to release me from that calling. And they didn't say why, of course, but I thought I've been in enough of these meetings and rooms. I know exactly what happened and they released me. And and so, um, you know, I just thought, oh, I can't talk about this here. Like there's no place for me to not filter. And I kept attending church for a long time, struggling with the fact that I felt like I was filtering, that I would hear things that just caused pain. It didn't bring me peace or joy anymore, but I was struggling because I wanted to support my three kids who were in the church. Well, at that time I was four. Right. And anyway, so that was, that what didn't go so well. I, but I, yeah. <laughs> I just, I just love you so much. I remember our discussions about general conference and they're like, how do I do it when like one of my kids wants to like, you know, throw something through the TV, and then my daughters are like, conference bingo. bingo. Yeah. <laughs> we literally, like, the, every conference to this day, like, my youngest daughter still, conference bingo, and they have their little things in the candy, <laughs> and they're listening to all the sessions. And Daniel, at the time, when he did this, he was probably 15 or 16, and he comes out of his room, and he goes, PTSD, and he slams off the TV and goes in the other room. And I'm like, oh, uh, 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 what do I do? Where did the spirit go? But yeah, so hard. But of course, at the time, I still didn't fully understand um, why it would be so traumatic for him because now it's traumatic for me. <laughs> now I get it. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, I can't remember. I mean, I remember conversations with you about Faye and about um, how she was really struggling, didn't want to come out of her room. I'm not sure if that's okay to talk yeah. about, but you know, you as a mom knew something was going on with Faye and you couldn't figure it out. Yeah. I mean, even though now you're a professional in the LGBTQ I arena. Know. 
And I'm thinking, I'm so accepting. I'm a Mama Dragon extraordinaire. Mm, like, yeah, and Mama Dragons is a now an international group for moms with LGBTQ children support group. Yeah. So that's what Mama Dragons is. Yeah. So here you had this kid struggling. You just thought he well, he was depressed. Yeah, he was depressed. It was about she, eighth grade. She was depressed. Yeah. And at the time, um, eighth grade, I would say. And so Daniel would have been eight, nine, ten. So Daniel would have been a senior. And this is when Daniel's doing better. Like he, mm-hmm. you know, because he. He ended up going to a wilderness thing and it really helped. And then I started getting it. And so by his senior year, he's kind of settling down and doing better. Well, then all of a sudden, Faye in eighth grade is withdrawing and I can't figure out what's going on. And, you know, Faye wouldn't talk to me. Um, I dragged that kid to every possible, you know, energy healer and neuropsychiatrist and you know, so before actually at the beginning, Faye had just been struggling through eighth grade. And I thought, well, you know, his best friend is moving. Um, you know, it's probably just social. It's kind of this middle school thing where we're leaving the charter school that's safe and happy and having to go to the big high school. So one morning, Faye had a note on the door that said, can I go to the hospital? And I was like, what? Like hospital? And their school called me and said, hey, um, this child who at the time was he had looked up a website that said lost all hope methods to take your life and I was just like I had did not see that it was way beyond what I had seen so I we went to the hospital um two weeks in the hospital and the only thing they could come up with was yeah um he doesn't have a phone and you turn the internet off at night and I'm thinking so that is enough to not want to live anymore like so it always felt like there was something more so then that was in the spring then we went through the whole summer of medicate i mean and after that i always say that was when i lost jacob that was when my child i never saw that kid again like that kid came out of those two weeks and was shut down just started growing her hair and it was always over her face and we'd go to the doctor and we'd have medication and i remember going to costco and saying what do you want is there anything you want i don't know i don't know and she would just have her hair in front of her face and it was just months of that until the fall when she started getting worse and then we went back to the hospital and there was a five-month period of being in the hospital. I still didn't know what was going on. They didn't know. They said, you know, maybe you need to find another place because we don't know, but we, they knew she wouldn't. She could, they couldn't even let her outside for a while because she said she'd run in front of a car. And finally at the end, and this is where she met Stockton because Stockton came in there and was good friends with her and Stockton said you should go to Affirmation because she told Stockton, but the very end of the five months, she um, was home for a visit, and I picked up her phone after she left, and it was uh, talking about feeling gender dysphoria and some things that she was thinking, and I I was so, um, I was blindsided. I didn't see it. I didn't know, and I'd even said, are you gay? And I'm like, I wish, I wish she was gay. Like, I know how to do gay, but I didn't know anything about this. And I remember at that retreat going, whew, I'm glad my kid isn't trans. That looks really hard. So here I was a few years later, and um, she came out and wanted to go by foster and have they pronouns. So we did that for about nine months, and then she, and then she changed to Faye and she, and she pronouns. But over the years, as she's come out and been able to, like we just got her name changed this year. I can tell you that story. But she has become more confident, and you know she has beautiful long hair, and she. Um, you know, she got her GED, she's finished school. She 
I would always say, and I'll tell my kids, she was so smart. She taught herself to read. She was four. She was always in the gifted program, like so witty and smart. And this really shut her down. And I always talk about this with people in my community because the suicide rate is one thing, but you can't even count the numbers of kids whose lives are derailed by this where, yeah, they may still be alive, but it has derailed them academically and socially and emotionally and their confidence and that is is that's important we have to look at that because it's not just the suicide rate even though the suicide rate is horrible so if they think it's getting better it's not just that there's so much more to what happens to their lives never that word's powerful derailed i mean so many uh, mormon parents you know before their children come out it's like there's this iron rod and there's this boat we can stay in and there's these chairs Mm -hmm. that won't be empty all these things that we're taught as parents, our responsibility to teach our children correct doctrine, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the common thing I hear over and over is once your kid comes out, there is no rod, mm-hmm. there is no boat. Yeah. There is no, there's, there is, and as parents, like, I don't know if you feel this, Kelly, but we have to create that. Yeah, oh, for sure. Lisa Hansen would say, there's no, there's no role models. And I thought, you're right. Like, if you follow the script, which they've all been taught their whole lives, you've got, oh, look, everyone's doing it. Everyone around you. There's, mm-hmm. the, there's the role models. Here's mm-hmm. the path. And all of a sudden, you have a kid that's like, I'm not going on a mission. I mean, this none of this is going to work for me. And there's nobody to watch. And there's no script for it. And they have to figure it out. And, and, and the difference between the way they're treated. So my second son, Benjamin, who just got back from a mission, who is cisgender straight he's he's done the script and to watch the way he's treated because people love him and they celebrate him and they celebrate him going along the path and he's beautiful and wonderful and deserves to be celebrated but the contrast with the the life and the way the support and the community changes for those kids who step off of that path and aren't following the script is dramatic it's dramatic yeah. the difference and of course when you're following the script and everyone's cheering you on and they come over and go oh, you're going on a mission have some money here have some cookies and <laughs> good job at church and you know I mean I, just, I I wasn't going to church much and I went once while he was on his mission and someone got up and talked about how she had a friend in Ukraine who met Benjamin and how great Benjamin was and I thought you know it's just and I love Benjamin he's amazing but just to see the difference in yeah. how you're treated in the community when you don't follow the script is really painful I think um, I'm gonna love that story of Benjamin Mm -hmm. because I think um, a common theme I hear too is for a family that supports their LGBTQ Mm -hmm. child within the church sort of impacts the whole family yeah and in fact the other siblings that are straight oh for sure and I think about you know here's one of the most difficult issues of our time we're struggling with it as a state as a nation and I have kids who are not even adults yet, really. I mean, mentally, you know, their ages. And they're supposed to navigate this. So mm-hmm. my gay son is supposed to be happy that his brother's going on a mission. He said, Mom, he's just going out to teach people to hate gay people. Mm-hmm. And then he doesn't understand why they're not really supportive. And they don't want to be on the call at Christmas. Mm-hmm. And they're not there. So it's Christmas. And we're sitting around. <laughs> and you're all supposed to have the big happy family. And Daniel's gone skiing. And Faye doesn't want to come out of her room. You know, I'm like... How are we supposed to navigate this in our little family when it's so difficult? And I do think my kids are 
accepting and the ones who are active are very nuanced and they love their LGBT siblings. But they're not as close, as, I don't think, as they would be um, if things were different. I don't think they're as close. Yeah. Which, yeah, <laughs> for a church that it's all about family, <laughs> it's very difficult. I mean, um, most of my kids don't attend church anymore, and I believe the root cause is because they have a gay son or a gay I'm he's my son gay brother gay brother mm-hmm. I mean how do you go to a church that that's con- you know and it's not talked about once in a while it's you know every general conference we're reminded of our place I mean I don't know about you but let's visit you know when they came out with the exclusion policy oh gosh I remember that day I mean mo- some members may not even know about that policy but for those of us that have given our life to the church and support our LGBTQ children, when that policy came oh. out, to many of us, that was a line drawn in the yeah. sand. Yeah, it was. It was horrifying. So that policy um, told us that our children, if they were to marry same sex, so my son, which I have supported since the day he came out. I hope he finds a man that he wants to settle down with, be committed to, and have all the blessings of what everybody else has, right? But if he does that, you know, in the policy, he was told if he wanted to engage in the church, his kids couldn't be baptized. They couldn't be blessed. They couldn't be baptized. They couldn't participate in the church like other straight kids. And Granted, many of our kids don't want to have anything to do with the church anyway, right? But we know, Colleen and I know, many incredible people in the community that do do want want Mm -hmm. to participate in the church. Yeah. That was really, really hard. And they have have since reversed that. But um, I don't know. I think the damage was done. The damage was done. (laughs) And reversing it was almost as hard because it seemed like Oh, you're just going to reverse that? Like, do you have any idea the people's <laughs> lives that were impacted? The right. people who maybe took their lives because yeah. of, they felt like there was no place for them in the church when yeah. they had been faithfully attending, and then, I mean, and then we're just going to change it like that? Like, yeah, it was almost as painful because it just seemed like, oh, oops, and then just reverse it without ever admitting that it was a mistake. Yeah. It was just, oh, God changed his mind, and yeah, I remember telling. I wanted to go get my recommend. So we have temples in our church, and but you have to be like super, super more spiritual or righteous. So I wanted to go get my temple recommend just to prove to myself, I guess, I was still righteous because it was taken away. That's another whole story. But I remember telling my bishop, well, I will never, ever support the policy. And he's like, well, it's revelation. And I said, well, I'm never, ever. Then when he... I passed that step, and then you have to go to a leader above your bishop, and I told him the same thing. I will never, ever, and there's a history with the leaders and me at that time, and he said, well, it's just a policy. So, you know, even within the church, no one, it went from being a policy to a revelation to a policy, and if you were super righteous, you thought it was a revelation. If you were a doubting Mormon, you might call it a policy. I mean, that's how it seems like to some of us that are now on the outskirts looking in. Yes. Right? <laughs> and hearing all the stories and then and then people piecing things together. Well, he said this here and he said this here. Yeah. And then you start seeing 
this that was, that was like crazy. Like yeah. who was who was in charge of all that? And and then you just go, <laughs> you're just throwing. This is messing with people's lives. And I get that the trajectory, like that, was the right direction. But we, but our kids are collateral damage. Like in the middle of this, when they're trying so hard to be what they think is expected of them by God, and then they hear things like that and the way that people defend it. It's too much. It's too much. Well, I remember when it, it um, I saw in a Facebook group that most Mormons don't follow that this was happening. And I remember texting um, Tom Christofferson and asking him, please tell me this is not true. He said, yeah, it's true. And, you know, I, but the children part can't be true, right? And so that was really hard for many of us in this arena that children were being punished, right? Yeah. I mean, to me at the time, I thought, how can I have my grandchildren come to my home and take them to a church that I know that they will not have all the opportunities that their other yeah, cousins have? That their cousins are getting baptized, but you have to wait till you're you 18 have to and wait. then say that your dad's marriage is Yeah, bad. and then you have to like, yeah, yeah diss my son. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's that's just... all messed up. And you know, when I heard it, Colleen, I think that we've been given the gift of knowing right away. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have to take... That to the Lord. No. Mm-mm. I knew right away. I knew right away when I heard it that that was incorrect. Yeah. I don't care what it was labeled as, yeah. but it was something that did not resonate with my yeah. spirit. did not feel like that was of God immediately. I, you know, I was in a meeting, city council meeting, and um, someone texted me or I saw the news thing, and I was just horrified. Like, I couldn't even, the rest of the night, my mind was just blanked out. I couldn't even. Yeah. It, was, it took <sighs> us. It took us by surprise. And to be yeah. to be honest, that we we were seeing so many like, you know, being on the forefront and, <clears throat> and sort of in this arena, we're aware of everything that's happening, right? Oh, like the church gave to the Pride Center. Exactly. Oh my gosh, look at they recognize our kids. <laughs> or the church, you know, that big um, SB is it two ninety six two ninety seven was passed, yeah. where our kids are not going to be fired anymore, kicked out of their housing. Go, you know, because we know the church is right. involved with politics in Utah. Go team! Mm. Like this is awesome our momentum it's it's then gay marriage was legalized yes team and somebody said something in conference that so was positive yeah someone said love everybody go team, go team. <laughs> it's getting better it's getting better and so we're climbing this um hope wagon <laughs> like we're hanging on and we're seeing oh there's progress and our kids are gonna have a place and then the policy comes out yeah and i mean we're just straight white women right like Seriously. how it affects us people are like, how do you feel about that i'm like why don't you go ask your lgbt siblings exactly. yeah exactly why don't you ask them how this makes them feel yeah that's horrible so <sighs> yeah so yeah, yeah. wows wowzers so faye though had faye had kind of checked out a church um yeah before all that like she was just done daniel was done i had to ask you something about faye maybe this is too personal mom guilt we have it right oh yeah oh i'm the queen of it when she came out as transgender do you feel like that you were so involved in trying to help daniel that you missed so many signs with faye oh yeah i feel like so much guilt about everybody because (laughs) (laughs) yeah how does someone have five kids i don't know but when Daniel was struggling, it was just like everything. Like, you know, he's the oldest kid and you're trying to help him. I felt guilty that I just wasn't present. And 
Faye was especially classic middle child, just like a tender, quiet. I remember one day Faye coming home from school with Benjamin's pants on. Now Benjamin is 6'4 and has just always been big and stocky. Faye's 6'3 but is always very slender. So the pants were just baggy, but she couldn't find her own pants and so she didn't say anything. And she was always just the one to make do and not make a fuss. And, and I looked back and I thought, Although she started or were struggling when Daniel was doing better and had moved out, but <clears throat> I definitely, <clears throat> I definitely was, um, yeah, yeah, mom guilt, yeah, on every level for all of them, even Benjamin. I'm like, he was fine, but I just feel like I missed it because I was so, and your brain is just like taken over by that. And then I was like going to all these mom and dragon things because I just needed <laughs> to talk to someone and connect about it and go, yeah. what, what do you do about this and how do you handle that and. Yeah, and, and you know, it's it's like usually we give each other the, I don't know, answers. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's, for me, like, a beautiful part of this journey is, like, God will answer our prayers. It doesn't matter if it lines up with anybody else. Exactly. You know, it's very empowering to realize. Although at the time I felt sort of like he wasn't answering my prayers. I think it's because I wanted him to fix something. Yeah. I mean, I... I think looking back, like Mama Dragons was an answer to prayers, mm-hmm. like, you know, so many beautiful things that came from that. But at mm-hmm. the time, I remember just going, why is this happening to my life? And, yeah. you know, my kid, and he was, I just want him to be normal. And, you know, yeah. the time when you don't understand. So now I look at it as beautiful and wonderful. But a lot of, lot of um, growing pains. Boy, I'll say. But if I look back, I think, I'm a way better person. I mean, I can look at people, including like um, some people like that lived down the street. There was a lesbian couple that when they first moved in, I was kind of, oh, you know, I didn't, Mm. I didn't, I would never be rude. I just would never reach out. And then when my heart changed, I thought my heart changed, like my heart literally changed so that I have nothing but love when I meet, when I meet people and when I hear someone has a gay kid or when I see people that, you know, it's just a whole different paradigm and I don't have any of that. I mean, I used to, you know, put people in a box and judge and do they do this and are they that? And yeah, I just, it just changed my heart in a good way. So I'm grateful. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about um, what's been going on in your little town of Heber? I mean, I know it's received national attention. You're very popular with the nation. So a couple, two years ago, a lesbian woman in Heber, um, Allison Phillips Belknap asked she wanted to do the um, pride flag neighborhood thing and I guess it was too late for um, that year so she thought hey we could get some banners made and have them hang on Main Street and she asked me and I said well yeah you know and and truly legally I had no authority to deny it because our policy was just if someone asks for a banner as long as it's not commercial and it fits it fits but it was always you know it's fair days or it's the rodeo um it's you know sheepdog festival yeah I was thinking that sheepdog sheepdog. (laughs) and so that so she went to the process and she went to public works and they emailed me and they said did you say they could hang these flags and I said yeah I did and I knew if we'd voted on it in city council, it wouldn't have passed, but that wasn't the process we had. And so I felt like I'm just following the process, even though I could have said no, and maybe we wouldn't have gotten sued. And that's probably what would have happened in an, if someone else had been mayor or if I'd been the mayor five or 10 years ago. But I thought, yeah, so, we, so they hung it. And like the first morning after they were up, I get this email. 
I live in Midway and I'm ashamed and I can't believe you would do this and I'm so glad I don't live in Heber and so I went and posted <laughs> on Facebook and said you know and I quoted I think it's Marion McClellan who's a mom and dragon she put this great post about why she flies a flag so I shared that and I just said look I can't take the credit for this but I'll take the blame because I did approve it anyway it went crazy like my post went crazy I was on all the TV stations people were saying take them down or we'll take them down and then the ACLU wrote a letter and said don't you dare take them down and we weren't planning to take them down but anyway it just kind of escalated I got let one person said to me you um I think it was an email or a phone call you're just one woman and one woman tried to take prayer out of schools and she was murdered and put in her grave and you better watch out God will have his revenge mm. like I had those kind of things said to me most of the negative things were private there was some on Facebook and there was a preacher guy that was all mad and preaching in the park and there was a guy that went out and protested with signs about straight marriage and or whatever he called it but um I would say the vast majority of social media was positive, but there were definitely some negative things. But then the private stuff, the people that were calling me and emailing me privately, there was some really yucky, mean stuff. Anyway, so it went, they were up for a month, and then um, nothing happened. We, we had an election, and then we got three new council members. You, you mentioned suing. Who sued who? Nobody sued anybody, but the ACLU said if we were to take those flags down, in a short, then shorter than the time that had been requested, they would sue us. Oh, the city. The city, yeah, they would sue the city, and we didn't take them down. We had no intention of taking them down. We honored what we had, you know, said they could. She wanted them up for the month, and we left them up for the month. Anyway, so yeah, I was on all the TV news and NBC, and the AP picked it up, and so it was all over the place. So then we had an election last year, and I was trying to stall because I thought, you know, they're going to vote on a new policy and they're going to change it. Yeah. So we stalled through the election and got some new council members who I thought would be supportive. Well, this year, one of them's an attorney, and he said, you know, we need to fix this because we're going to end up with a lawsuit because someone else is going to come and want their banners hung, and if we say no, then we're going to be in a lawsuit. And people used examples of, you know, the Ku Klux Klan, and I'm like, nobody has to put up hate speech. Like, they're, you know, you don't have to do that. But then uh, someone said, we're going to request banners for pro-abortion or anti-abortion or we're going to request banners like a woman came in and spoke and said she was going to request anti-pornography flags so the council decided they just didn't want our mainstream and because we'd had this media attention they thought someone's going to come here and do something just for the media attention then they didn't want our main street to be that they want it to be welcoming and not have any controversy so they came up with this new policy and i stalled it and then um they got the banners went up again this year and then after that, a few weeks ago, they passed a new policy that won't allow private citizens to come in with banners. It has to be something that's sponsored by the city or the county or um, the Chamber of Commerce. Mm. And then that caused controversy. So that was on the news. And I just interviewed with NBC a couple weeks ago. Um, and there's been a lot of outcry in the community from people that really really supported the flags. One of the interesting emails I got the first year was a man that was in my stake. And he said, thank you so much. He said, I have an autistic grandson who has been bullied so bad that now he doesn't even talk anymore as a you know senior in high school. And he said, I really feel like this um, helps send a message of inclusion and acceptance. And truly, I mean, they, it's like the canary in the coal mine. The research shows that if the LGBT kids are accepted, then the rates of anxiety and depression and et cetera, et cetera, are better for all kids. And so I kept trying to tell that story um, and how it was just such a powerful thing because we hadn't talked about it in our community. It really started a conversation. I mean, Heber's probably 10 years behind on this issue, at least. 
And finally, people start talking about it. Even in the prevention at the county health department, they hadn't mm-hmm. talked about it. And I was trying to bring it up when I got on that board and or the this community thing. And anyway, you know, so we would start, we had some events for the youth. We, you know, we've just started doing some things to try and create a place. I had no place. There was not one single place while my kids were, yeah, you know, to take them or have any support or acceptance at all. So, so I feel like even though it's changed now and unless the city sponsors a pride event, which remains to be seen, um, I think it it's made a difference to start a conversation which yeah, needed to happen. Definitely. And that it's so funny because <clears throat> from where I sit in Draper, we think you guys are really progressive up in Heber. Yeah. Not so much. <laughs> I think the planet's just aligned that Allison had the idea and I happened to be the mayor and we yeah. didn't happen to have a policy. And so everyone thinks that. I, I don't know if people will, like my council members said, I've talked to a lot of people and they, and it's all privately, mm-hmm. the ones who are against it. Mm-hmm. They, we had private conversations because they don't want to say anything publicly because they're going to be bullied. And I wanted to say, you've been able to say any negative, awful thing your whole life about gay people. And now when you get some pushback, you think you're being bullied? Right. Like, come on out and be public about it. But the council said that they talked to people and most of the the majority of people were against allowing something like that because they didn't want the controversy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think if we had an election, it seems to me that the, the, the slight majority would say, yes, leave them up there. It's worth having the controversy to to send that message of support. Yeah. But there's people that, no, we're not that kind of people. I mean, someone wrote this awful letter, and I had to read it because of COVID. We'd have to have public comment by email. You, mayor, and it's your family, and you're weird. I mean, it was just mean. So there are people like that, and I think there are still people that feel like it's like a good Mormon thing to follow the teachings of the church and we wouldn't want to promote this yeah but I think we're getting a lot of change in our community and a lot of people moving from other places and so I think it's shifting to where you know there's probably it's going to be a more accepting place but right now it's still pretty well it sounds like there is a little loophole there's a loophole. it sounds like if the city council or the mayor approves it has to be the council and they have to approve some financial support so they would have to support something financially um, to make it happen, so I don't know. I yeah. Don't know. Well, I think that you're correct, and it seems like, like even with Prop Eight, you know, whenever something really negative happens, conversations start. Yeah. And then once conversations start, people's hearts start changing or start looking yeah. at things differently. Like, you know, here's yeah. this little town in Utah. Yeah. I mean, how many? What's the population of Hubert? It's only seventeen thousand in our city and about thirty something in the county. So okay. it's still pretty so small. So small, and to get this kind of media attention, right. you know, yeah. it makes everyone, yeah, everyone think and have that yeah. discussion, whether it's comfortable or not, right. right? And we had a lot of people come in and tell their stories, and really beautiful, touching. I mean, Allison. I mean, she's someone you should have on here. Uh, she's on my schedule. Doesn't didn't she used to teach at BYU? She was a dean at the BYU Law School. Yeah. She's on. Hi, she's, Allison. I had to bump her during June, oh, but she shoot. she's going to be. She's in here. got a powerful story, and she, um, you know, she came in and she spoke too. And I think that some of them were touched, but they were so worried about the controversy and possible legal action that they they couldn't do it. But um, I don't know. I think. I wonder maybe maybe the pride group will come. There's a Wasatch back group now trying to do some pride stuff, and maybe maybe they'll support something in the future. We'll see. So when are you up for a re-election next year? And are you going to do that? I'm not sure yet. Mm-hmm. I would like to. I feel um, it's like super like important. Like 
I don't know. You are. Like, I just asked you, like, will you be running again for office, <laughs> Colleen? How do I you feel ask about if you're that? you're going to run. Are you going to run for the Draper mayor or city I'm council? not going to. Not this year? But I might be joining some forces in Draper. That's that important. will be seen. Good. We'll, we'll talk good. about that later. But so do you, oh, I'm, yeah, so you don't know. I don't know. I, I enjoy it, and I would for sure do it again, but I'm, um, it, it's public service, and it's hard to pay the bills with public service. And mm. so, so I don't know. I, I do enjoy it. I just have to see where life. I'm looking at a couple of job options right now, and we'll just see how things play out. So I don't know. I do like it, though. I w- if I can do it and fit it in, I will. Well, I just know from the first time we met, I've called you mayor. And whether you run or not, <laughs> you will always be the mayor in my Thank heart you. and mind. I will always salute you. Thank you. I'm honored. <laughs> I think this is probably the most serious conversation we've had oh, since sure since is. the fires, since when we sat at that fire at that, at that retreat. retreat. Like yeah. we removed ourselves from the main crowd so we could get clarity. And you know, Kelly wanted me to give her all the answers, I guess, because I still had some glow. Is there some scripture I missed? Like, is I, it in oh, here somewhere? I don't know. And these two returned missionary sisters trying to figure it out. <laughs> we had nothing. <laughs> <gasps> Sorry, nothing. Oh man, we have nothing. I mean, at the end of the day, what we do have is the love for our kids, and mm-hmm. you know, relationship with something higher than all of this that we can have faith in. Yeah. And all of the, I mean, it's so amazing the community and the beautiful, wonderful gay people, and the allies. And I mean, I've just been—it's opened my mind and my world to a whole new group of people and just a way of being that's so much less judgmental and so much more accepting and so much more people who rally when your life isn't going the traditional way. And I think it's beautiful. I do. I do. Like, um, I'm sure you agree with this. Like we'll never be the same women. I mean, the Mm -hmm. stories we've heard, the people we've sat with and allowed ourselves to be in their space Mm -hmm. and internalize what they're telling. Well, I mean, that's why this podcast is so important all the stories i think you're number 60 something but every time i have someone in the studio i go out changed yeah and sometimes when i go out of the studio i'm so drained by the hurt that some of my guests have received you know it's it's been a really sacred journey and um I'm so grateful that you have come in and and from the mom's perspective and also a mayor's perspective you know, have shared with our audience mm-hmm. your story and your children's story. And I want I want Faye and Daniel to know that, you know, this is your home. Like when you guys when you want to um share your story, just reach out to me. I'm sure that someday they will. Yeah. Well, you know, my son doesn't want to either. And yeah. that's okay. That's okay. I never it's want okay. a guest to yeah. come in here unless no. They're ready. They're and, ready. Um, I want to do it. <clears throat> I want I, to do it. Allison and I spoke at an event for Equality Utah in Park City after the banner thing last year, and I was telling my story, and I just said, I'm so sorry. I was so late to the party. Like, I wish I had gotten this sooner, and I'm so sorry. And this beautiful gay woman came up, and she just grabbed me, and she said, you're not too late. It's okay. And I just thought, so gracious. Like, I've never had anything but kindness and goodness and graciousness from people who have suffered I mean, I looked at her and thought she's probably, well, she was older than me. I mean, she's had to go through all these years of this, and they just are quick to forgive and kind, and and there's a lot of wounding. Sometimes, you know, people say and do things that aren't 
gracious and kind, but I, I always try to say, like, just look at it as they're coming from a place of pain and you have no idea what they've gone through. Yeah. So it's been amazing. Well, Colleen, um, before we end this podcast, what would you like to tell um, parents that may have one of their children come out to them? Um, Probably two things. One, I would say, I think you do love. I mean, I think every parent loves their child. So love them, but trust them. Trust that they are trying to follow the path that they feel is best for their lives. They're not trying to hurt you or offend you or reject whatever you've taught them. They're trying to survive. And if you could, like if I had trusted my 12-year-old and taken him to the little photo shoot, that mm-hmm. would have been affirming and supportive for him. Mm-hmm. But I didn't trust him and I was trying to keep him away from that. And I know it's hard as a parent because you want to keep him away from something you think would be bad for them. But in this arena, you've got to trust them and let them navigate their own feelings and know they know who they're attracted to and how they feel and who they connect with. You just have to trust them and support them and love them along the way. And the second thing, and I would say this too, particularly those parents who um, maybe are active in the LDS church or any other church that is um, not as accepting of the choice, you know, of of same-sex marriage and people leave, like whether their kid has to leave or whether it's, you know, I just, I want to say treat them like a refugee. Like you don't need to understand why they can't be at church. You don't need to understand it and agree with it because you probably won't. They'll tell you, I can't be there. And you'll think, well, why can't you be there? You need to be there. Yeah. Treat them like a refugee. Treat them like for some reason they can't be there. And you need to show them that much more love and acceptance for wherever they are. And I, and I would say that to anyone who's active in a church. Treat me like a refugee. If I can't be at church... You don't know what I've gone through. They have no idea that the experiences I've had and the revelation I've had. And if I can't sit in that church and maintain my mental health, treat me like a refugee, not like a sinner. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. I don't think we can. uh, (laughs) It's a beautiful way to. I was going to share a story, but I can't even now because that's such a beautiful way to uh, end this podcast. So thank you again for being here and thank you for sharing such wisdom and and your profound experiences with our Human Stories audience. You know I love you. And I love you. Thank you so much. Kelly always joins Lee and I in our dates. We yeah, love that. I'm the third wheel. <laughs> <laughs> we love you. Thank you, Human Stories, for listening to this podcast. You know, listen, share these podcasts, subscribe. You probably know a mom or a dad or someone that maybe is struggling with their child coming out. Share this. I think it will bring a lot of comfort and a lot of clarity. We're not alone. There's people that understand us. And this is Jill Hazard-Rowe with Human Stories.